Good morning. I want to welcome you to week five of our series, Finding Financial Freedom. So glad you're here. Uh, if you have been with us the last four weeks, then you know that we have been looking at this roadmap to financial freedom, this, this journey that God lays out for us, uh, that we can find financial health and, and financial wholeness. And we've talked about a whole lot of things in this series. We, we've seen how money is always more of a spiritual issue than an economic issue, very important insight to gain. We've, we've worked at getting honest about uh, where we are financially and where we want to be, where God wants to take us, and we've laid out in that uh, view a spending plan that actually can free us up to get to God's best for our lives, uh, a plan that honors God, a, a plan that allows for savings, a plan that keeps us out of debt and in light of that, we've been looking at the importance of saving and how we could actually find the money to do that, and we've seen the dangers of debt and, and how we can work toward getting out of debt as quickly as possible. Lots and lots of things that we've been looking at together. And it may be that with all of that information, you could still stay stuck where you are. You could still remain in neutral, never get things into gear, never figure out a way to move forward financially. So today, what I want to talk about is how do you get unstuck? How do you move from where you are to where you would want to be to where God would want you to be? And we're going to see today five ways that we can get stuck financially, and then we're going to hear what God tells us to help us get out of that place. So I'm going to show you five truths that I hope will encourage you that you actually really truly can do this, that you actually really truly can take this journey that the Bible outlines toward financial freedom. And I'm going to show you uh, two things that you can start and three things that you can stop. And so let's jump in with the first start. The first start is really simple. It's just this. You start by taking baby steps. Now, how many of you have seen the Bill Murray movie, What About Bob? Okay, that's a, a movie that popularized this phrase, baby steps. And this is really the first big truth to finding financial freedom, and it, it's like this. It doesn't have to be an all-or-nothing proposition. You actually can start this journey gradually. You actually can take baby steps. And this really is a biblical idea. Over and over in the Bible, we see God calling his people to do something, and many times he's calling his people to this, this enormous task, and his first word to them is not uh, normally accomplish this, but begin this. Begin. For example, when God led the Israelites to the promised land, he, he told them that they were to take possession of it, and it was a, a huge job that was going to take years. Notice how God spoke to them about this. Deuteronomy 2.24 says, begin to take possession of it. God doesn't tell them, I expect you to accomplish this all at once. He just says, I expect you to start it at once. I expect you to get on the journey, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. It really is the same with our money. And it's like God is saying to us, I want you to start. Take some steps. Get moving. I don't expect you to be able to pull all of this off overnight. God is saying to some of us, you know that you've been managing your financial life outside my principles, and this is going to be a seismic shift for you. It's going to take some time but you can start. God says, I want you to acknowledge me as your, your leader. I want you to honor me. I want you to trust me. I want you to begin. 
See, a lot of people, then they look at what the Bible lays out, all the principles and the wisdom and the guidelines, and they just think, well, it must be that this has to be this all or nothing kind of deal. Maybe we can think about the 10-10-80 plan that we have been talking about uh, throughout this series. The first 10% of our income goes to God, and then we pay ourselves, the 10% goes to savings, and, and then we live off the remaining 80%. And most people, when they hear this plan, they, they see the wisdom of it. They, they get uh, what it's supposed to be, but they, they find they just can't move into it, all, not all at once anyway. I mean, sometimes, and maybe this is true for some of you, sometimes people are not even sure they can do a 1198. I mean, maybe you've felt like that. Maybe, maybe you're, you're caught up in too much debt. You have way too many bills. And what sometimes happens in that reality is since you can't do it all at once, you get discouraged and you feel defeated and then you end up not doing anything. But whoever said that you have to resolve it all immediately? See, starting gradually, I'm just here to tell you this today, it's not only legal, biblically, but it also may be a necessity uh, for most of us. And so if you haven't been following this plan, it just may be reality. You can't get into it full speed instantaneously. But what you can do is something. And so do whatever you can. Do whatever you can. Maybe you start with 5% towards savings, or maybe that's too high a hill to climb, maybe 2 or 3% towards savings with a commitment to move uh, continually toward that full 10% that God calls, the kind of wisdom that God calls us to. Now, this also includes our, our giving. And so giving a tithe or giving 10%, this is not meant to be some kind of legalistic rule. The Bible makes it clear this is a matter of the heart. God has asked it of you, yes, but he wants you to do it to follow this as a reflection of your heart toward him. And again, it may be that the choices that you have made in your life make this seem impossible, but you can do something. Maybe it starts with giving 2 or 3% with a commitment to keep growing in this area, to keep increasing as, as you move toward greater levels of financial freedom. And if you do that with a sincere heart, I can tell you, God's gonna be delighted with that. God's gonna be delighted with you because he knows what's going on in your heart. So if you have leveraged yourself with debt or living expenses in such a way that you just do not have the margin to, to tithe or start saving without being irresponsible uh, to your debts, then start gradually. But no matter how small the start may have to be, it's important that you make the start. It's kind of like that old adage, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you go on a long journey? Well, one step at a time. But I need to add something more to that. It is still important that those steps, even if they're baby steps, it's still important that they involve faith. We should still take serious steps of faith as we begin. See, starting gradually doesn't give you an excuse to drag your feet. I mean, if you were to say in response to this, you know, I think I'll I'll work my way up towards saving 10%, or I'll work my way up to a tithe. I think I'll get there in, I don't know, 2025. That probably means you're not taking this seriously. And so you need to take serious steps of faith. You need to do some things that stretch you. You, you need to move as soon as possible into fully following God's principles. And what keeps us from fully following God's principles? Well, the main thing 
uh, for most of us is that we're worried that if we do that, we won't have enough. And I want to tell you what Jesus says about that concern. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, Jesus says, put God first in your life, and God promises to provide for your needs. And you just need to be reminded, you cannot obey this command by just waiting around for this to happen. It's not going to happen by accident. It's only going to happen when you are intentional about it. You have to start by putting God first. And that means you have to take some serious steps of faith. Now, for some of you, giving even maybe 1% or 2% to God and his work, maybe that's going to be the most stretching step of faith that you have ever taken. Faith that that God is going to move as you honor him. Faith that God is going to provide and and care for you. But start, take steps, involve faith. That's first. The second start is this. Start seeing that it's about saying yes, not no. See, if the first roadblock is thinking that implementing God's financial plan has to be this all or nothing deal, then the second is thinking that it means saying no to everything you want and everything you enjoy in order to do it. See, people who get stuck at this point, they, they don't see honoring God with their tithe and getting out of debt and building up savings and, and spending less than they earn. They don't see those things as giving them the life they want. They see them as depriving them of the life that they want. See, we can get stuck here and Let me explain it this way. Maybe this will help you get the point. Let's say that you know you need to lose weight. And if you need to lose weight, that means you're going to have to go on a diet, right? The horrible D word, diet. And in your mind, a diet, you know, diet means nothing but terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. And maybe you kind of think like this. You compare those diet days to days where you can have a squeeze-in bacon squeeze burger with a cheese skirt, like that. (laughs) And so in your mind, it's like this. It's like diet or bacon squeeze burger. You know, and and you end up feeling kind of like you're saying no, you know, to everything that's good and holy. No to pleasure and taste and true joy. And you you're end up in this diet. You're saying yes to hunger, deprivation, depression, gloom, despair, and agony. I mean, bacon squeeze burgers can do that to you. But here's the question. Is that the way to think? Is that really what is going on? And the answer, of course, is no. Let me suggest to you a revolutionary way to think. That, that when it comes to all of this, you're not saying no to what you want. You're saying yes. See, you're not saying no to the pleasure of a cheeseburger. You're actually saying yes to the body you want, to the health you want, maybe to the clothes that you would like to wear. The truth is, if you're overweight and you need to lose weight, then the, that cheeseburger is not the pleasure. It's actually the pain. That's what's keeping you from the life you want. That's what's keeping you from from being healthy. That's what's keeping you overweight and out of shape. 
And so not eating the cheeseburger isn't about saying no to what you want. It's about saying yes to what's most important in your life, what you most want. This is what Jesus was always trying to get people to see. Over and over again, he would talk about this when he confronted them with the, counting the cost of following him. He wanted them to understand it wasn't about saying no to the life you want, but it was about saying yes to the life you truly want. Listen to how he said it here. This is Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, sometimes we find ourselves thinking that following Jesus means saying no to all the things in life that we enjoy. But Jesus is saying, you don't know what life can be like. You're not saying no to what is good. You're saying yes to what is best. I want you to write a couple of statements down. Here's the first one. Following God's wisdom is not about depriving yourself. We really just have to get this in our heads. So you say, well, what is it about? Well, following God's wisdom is about true freedom and joy. And this is such a crucial concept, really, when it comes to all areas of life change, and it applies specifically with money. Most of the the principles that we've been talking about in this series could be seen as saying no to all the squeeze burgers of the world, that when you give, that when you save, that when you spend less than you earn, you're, you're just depriving yourself of pleasure, depriving yourself of fun. But God's word tells us, no, you're not. See, you're not, when you do what God says, you're, you're not saying no to that 65-inch ultra HD TV. You're saying yes to freedom. You're saying yes to the phone calls stopping, yes to the creditors going away. You're saying yes to money in the bank, yes to healthy savings, yes to a more secure retirement. And in the end, actually, you may be saying yes to that ultra HD TV if you want it, but now you're doing it in a way that's freeing, actually, without the bondage of debt, without cheating God, without fearing for the future. I'm just telling you, we really need to get this one down because we can really get out of whack here. See, there are some of you, and you know who you are. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hand, but some of you have done exactly what I'm going to describe right now. You've gotten to the point where you're so discouraged about all your bills and all the struggles, and it's just paycheck to paycheck, and there's all this pressure and all this stress. You get so discouraged, and you feel so defeated that you got to do something. You got to do something to make yourself feel better. And what do you do? You go to the mall, and you buy more stuff to make yourself feel better, which just dig your hole even deeper. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I know, I know from the laughter that some of you have done this, or you know somebody that you're laughing about right now. So, See, we need to get this idea that this is all about saying no out of our heads and get into our head that it is really ultimately about saying yes to what we truly need, saying yes to the life that we ultimately want. Well, that's two starts. Here's the first stop. Number three, stop thinking you just need more money. See, a third way we can get stuck on this journey to financial freedom is to think that the problem is just in our income. 
We think if we would be financially free if we just had more money. And so what happens when we think that is we get passive and we wait around for the cavalry to come in and rescue us all at once, solve everything. You say, well, I don't do that. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever in your mind played any version of the if only game? The if only game is like this. You know what? Things would be so much better if only I had that salary if only I got that promotion, if, if only I received that bonus, if only somehow I won the lottery, then it would all be good. It would all be fixed. See, we're thinking our problems could be solved if only we have more money. And sometimes as a result of thinking like that, we don't do what it takes to move toward financial freedom because we don't think we're the problem. We don't think that we have any control over the problem. And so the lack of savings, the debt we've incurred, the lack of giving... We don't see that as any of our responsibility. I just want to tell you today, here's the truth for the vast majority of us. You don't need any more money. That's the truth you need to accept if you want to get unstuck. For the vast majority of us, the heart of the challenge is, is, an earning, is not an earning problem. It is a spending problem. For most of us, it's not about income. It's about lifestyle and about the debt that we use to fund that lifestyle. It's not really a money amount issue. It's a money management issue. Now, there's an interesting passage about this. It's kind of tucked away in the Old Testament prophetic book of Haggai. And the, the setting is this. It's after the exile, the, the, the people of, of Israel, God has sent them back home again, and he's told them to rebuild the temple. And he's told them that they are to make contributions so that the temple can be built. But so many of the people weren't doing that. So many of those people were saying, you know what? I got to build my house. So many of them were saying, I got to take care of my issues. I got to provide for my family's needs. And I don't really have anything left to go toward God in his kingdom. And so God sends this prophet Haggai along and he tells them this, this message. He gives them this message. Chapter one, verses five and six. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You, you put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And sometimes that is our problem, purses with holes. See, we've chosen not to follow God's principles. We, we've removed ourselves from God's blessing, and so life isn't working. We end up having all these problems, like purses with, with holes. And you know, if you have purses with holes, the problem is not the amount in the purse. I read of a financial counselor who had three couples come into his office, kind of one after the other, each of them with the same problem. He said the first couple came in and and they were making $35,000 a year. And they said, you know, we don't make enough money. We, we, we can't live on this. It's not enough. And so he gave them a budget and he told them, I want you to write down everything you're spending money on. And sure enough, when they came back, that wasn't enough to fund their lifestyle. The next couple came in and they were making $70,000. And they said the same thing. We don't make enough money. It's just not enough for us to live on. And so he gave them a budget. He told them, I want you to write down everything that you're spending money on. And they came back, and sure enough, it wasn't enough for what they were spending. He said a third couple came in, and this couple said, 
We're only making $125,000 a year, but it's not enough to buy all the things that we need. And so he had him do the same thing, and he gives him this budget. He told him to write down all the things they were spending money on, and sure enough, it wasn't enough. And he began to reflect on this, and he realized in all three of these cases, the problem wasn't the income. He said, if you could have given $70,000 income to that first couple making $35,000 a year, or if you could have given $125,000 to the couple making $70,000 a year, he said, they would have thought they had died and gone to heaven. They would have thought all their problems, all of them were solved. But he said, something I know as a financial counselor, the chances are good that they would be back in a couple years with the same problem. You see, so many people never experience the financial freedom they could because they keep on telling themselves the problem is income, which is something out of their hands, instead of facing the problem of spending, which is something in their hands. We need to get, we need to see that it isn't about how much we make, it's about how much we spend. I could give you all kinds of examples and illustrations. Let me just share a couple of things. There was an article in USA Today that revealed that one in five Workers who earn 100000 a year or more report that they often or always are living paycheck to paycheck, six-figure incomes. One of every three of those couples just saves $250 a year or less. Fairly healthy incomes. Uh, last week, after one of our services, someone told me that they have a friend who works in the Bay Area doing money management, financial advice for families, and he has a number of clients who make four to $500,000 a year. And he told the, the, the person who's part of the Southman's family that many of those families making four to $500,000 a year live paycheck to paycheck with virtually no savings. Now, let me tell you what's going on here right now in this room. Many of you are committing the sin of judgment against other people. Because you're saying to yourself, what's wrong with them? I would never do anything like that. If I had four or $500,000 a year, are you sure? Are you sure that you wouldn't somehow, way, find yourself eventually in the place that those people are? See, the truth really is, for most of us, we don't need more money. We need more money management, better money management. This brings us to a fourth way we can get stuck. And when we think that we need to live at a certain level and we need to have a certain lifestyle, you know, we need to live in a certain kind of house and drive certain kind of cars and, you know, uh, have certain kinds of furniture and wear certain kinds of clothes and go on certain kinds of vacations, we begin to tell ourselves that those things really are necessities. But here's the stop that would get you past this major roadblock. Number four you need to stop thinking that you need to have it all. Stop thinking that you need to have it all. I'm gonna ask you, this is, a, this is just a kind of a gut check question for you. Have you ever sat down with yourself and asked yourself, what is a want and what is a need? I mean, really, I, I mean, honestly. Have you gotten honest with yourself about those things? This is really a great exercise because our basic needs are pretty obvious. Food and shelter and clothing, you know, our culture today, health insurance, maybe a car, I heard someone say not too long ago, if you have food to eat when you get home and you're living indoors, you have what you need. 
I just want to check here, just in case. I need to know the audience that I'm addressing here. Uh, raise your hand if you have food at home and you're living indoors. Would you just kind of, that's pretty much everybody, I think, right? And everything beyond that pretty much goes into the category of a want. I mean, just think about eating out. It's Sunday. It's the 11 o'clock service. You were hungry when you got here. You're hungrier now because of that stupid cheeseburger Pastor Mike <laughs> put up on the screen. Is that a want or a need, eating out? Well, it's a want, right? I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but it's a want. What about a second or a third car? Want or need? Now, it may be convenient to have a second or third car, but is it a need? Sometimes, yes, I get it, but many times, no. How about vacations? Are vacations wants or needs? Our vacations are good and we need breaks, but you know there's a difference between taking a vacation and going on a vacation. Do you have to go on one to take it? No. That's a want. It's not a need. All I'm saying is this. We need to be sure that we are not confusing wants with needs. When we turn our wants into needs and then we spend on those wants as if they were truly needs, that can make us live like, look like we're living the dream, but the reality may be that we are dancing on the cliff edge of financial catastrophe. This is how the Bible puts it, Proverbs 13, 7. One man pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. That proverb reminds me of a book that came out years ago. It was a bestseller. Some of you may have read it. It was called The Millionaire Next Door. And in this book, he talked about all these people who are building their wealth towards being millionaires, but you would never know it by looking at them. You would never know it from the houses they were living in or the cars they were driving or the clothes they were wearing because they were choosing to be frugal with their spending. They were spending money on needs, not on wants. You kind of turn that around, and we have a lot of people around us, maybe even some of us here, and we look really good. You know, we look like we are millionaires, but you scratch below the surface, and the reality is that we are one paycheck away from catastrophe. See, this whole wants versus needs thing is so critical, and this is, this is what the Bible is talking about. One person treats their wants as needs, and they pay for it, but they don't have financial freedom. Another person separates wants from needs clearly. They don't spend on every want, and as a result, they have financial freedom. I was reading another article this week earlier about the things that keep people from saving a million dollars for retirement, which is kind of a common goal. And this article said that one of the biggest things that keeps that from happening is people don't separate their wants from their needs, their necessities from things that are optional. One financial advisor interviewed said that when he first got into advising, he was amazed at how many people think that manicures, landscapers, and maids are a need. And again, some of us will judge. Maybe we don't do any of those things, but maybe we have some other things of our own that are really kind of in the same category. I looked this up this week because uh, I heard about this before, and I wanted to see what the numbers were. But do you know what the average home size in America was in 1960? It was 1,200 square feet. In 1950, it was 1,000 square feet. The average home built in America in 2016, almost 2,700 square feet. And it's kind of an interesting thing. Just what do you think? 
1950 and 1960 were families bigger or smaller than today? They were bigger and they had smaller homes. We have fewer and fewer people in our family. We think we need more and more room. Do we maybe ever have a problem mixing up wants and needs? Or how about this one? How about having a baby? This has sort of been on my mind lately because Dan and I have been praying about someone that we know having babies, you know, and um, the prayers are not getting through to our children. (laughs) So I would encourage you to intercede on our behalf because we would like to be grandparents. And, um, but anyway, I was thinking about having babies, and I was reading some stuff about this, and it's kind of interesting to me. Some of you who are younger parents know exactly what I'm talking about, but today, many people feel like if you're going to have a baby, you have to have a noise machine. You have to have a specialized diaper disposal system. See, I thought the system to dispose diapers was a plastic bag, but no, it's, it's much more complex than that. Also, a lot of people think you need to have diaper wipe warmers because who knows might happen to your baby if a cold diaper wipe touches their nether regions. They might die. I don't know. People pay really good money for that. You know, um, I mean, you could keep going. You've got to have a video monitor system. You've got to have a glider chair. I, I saw this thing in one of these articles I was looking at. Somebody makes an Aston Martin baby stroller that has four numbers attached to the price tag. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And I thought about it. You know, none of this even existed when Dan and I had babies. And yet somehow, someway, it's amazing to contemplate that it actually came to pass. All our children survived. And they're all pretty healthy. You know, and then I was thinking, there were probably things that Dan and I thought we had to have, and they hadn't even been invented when our parents had us, and we somehow, some way survived. You know, and do you, do you see, you know, we live in this day where every want is getting turned into a need. And us funding that is killing a lot of us. So we have to stop thinking that we need to have it all. Here's the last one, the last stop. Number five, and it's really the most important of all of these to get, stop thinking that God is your problem. See, when it it comes to money, there are some of us who think God is the problem. We think that God is not a financial friend. He is a fiscal foe. God is our adversary. God is someone who does not want what is best for us. And, And so maybe you've even been experiencing this in this series. You hear teaching from the Bible on finances in different areas. You find yourself resisting. You find yourself pushing back because you are thinking somehow, some way, what God wants for me is going to be bondage. I just want to say it as clearly as I can. God is not your problem. This is just one of the biggest myths that's floating around and that when it comes to God and money, you lose. And we really need to get past this. We end up kind of fearing God you know, coming to him with our money because we think he's going to take, it's going to mean loss and deficit and hardship. And so we end up going to anyone but God for help, going to anyone but God for advice and for wisdom. I just want to ask some questions, two questions, actually. And I want you to be honest with yourself about these questions. I'd actually like you to write these questions down and take them home with you and spend some time pondering them. Here's the first question. Do I really think God doesn't have my best interests at heart? 
You just need to be honest with yourself. And I'll just tell you, if you resist what the Bible has to say as it impacts your finances, then you have a problem right here. And then I'm gonna ask you another question that'll help you kind of process that first question. I like to challenge people about this in this way. Are you really willing to trust God with your eternity, but not your money? You're going to have to help me understand this one, all right? Because when I think about it, eternity seems to be sort of kind of pretty, like, big. And money in comparison seems to be sort of kind of, you know, small. You know, the truth is, most of the people are in this room right now, unless you are exploring what it means to follow Christ, unless you are asking questions about Christianity, maybe you're here kind of checking things out. Most of the people who are here today have already made some sort of faith commitment to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that he would forgive their sins and give them eternal life. You would say, if I ask you this question, are you trusting God for your eternity? You would say, yes, I believe that God will keep me safe and he will save me not only in this life, but forever. But then when it comes to money, I don't know. I'm not sure I can trust God with that. I mean, why, why would we trust God with our eternity but not our money? And God is trying to tell us again and again and again. I've told this to you before. God doesn't want something from you. God wants something for you. See, God wants us to be financially free. God wants us to have margin in our lives. He wants us to prepare for retirement. He wants us to live free of the stress and slavery of debt. He wants us to experience what it is like to have sufficient resources so we can provide for our families, so that we can meet the needs of other people, so that we can live in freedom. We need to stop fearing God when it comes to our money. Just think about the whole, you know, giving thing, the, the biblical idea that we should work toward giving a full tithe, 10% of our income, 10% to God and his work through the local church of which we are a part. You know, there's a lot of people that hear about that and they kind of freak out. And you may not know this unless you've experienced it yourself. I know it as a pastor for over 30 years. There are some of us who get angry with God over this. You're kind of ticked off at God that he would put something like this in the Bible, that he would require this of you. Why does he tell me I need to do that? You, you feel like this means loss, not gain, less, not more, worse, not better. But I want you to take a look again at what God's word says in this regard. What he says when he tells us to honor him in this way. I'll start off in the book of Malachi, chapter three. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines of your fields will not cast their fruit. And look at Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Sum it up, God is promising to bless the people who obey him. And then there's this word spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. What is God up to? What is God about? He's about blessing. It's not about 
less. It's about more. It's not about loss, but gain. It's not about worse. It's about better. We talked about this earlier in this series, that in the Bible, this concept of blessing is about God's supernatural favor. Maybe you can think of it this way. When God blesses you, God shows up in your life. Anybody want God to show up in their life? See, God is such a good God that out of his goodness overflowing, he shares that with us. He blesses us in a way that only he can. That's why these words are spoken in Proverbs 10, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth and he adds no trouble to it. See, what I hope is that throughout this entire series, this message has been coming through loud and clear. God doesn't want something from you. God wants something for you. And if you are rejecting God and God's principles when it comes to money, then you are rejecting the blessing that God wants to give, the blessing that he offers. And wouldn't that be kind of insane? I want to close this message by sort of paraphrasing what I think God is saying to you. Listen to these words. I think God is saying to you, I want you to experience my financial faithfulness, what it is like to invite me to be involved in your finances because I am worthy of being trusted in this area. God is saying, I want you to experience the financial freedom my principles bring. I want you to be free to go where I want you to go, free to do what I want you to do, free to give what I want you to give. God is saying, I want you to experience the financial security and peace that comes from getting out of debt, that comes from saving, that comes from following a spending plan like I've laid out. And God is saying, I want you to experience financial contentment. I want you to get free from the lies of this culture in which we live that is always telling us that more and further and quicker and richer Those things are everything. More stuff, more stuff. That's what will make you happy. God says, I want you to break free from that sick trap that that has you believing happiness is found in things. He says, I really want that for you. I want it very badly because I love you, because you matter to me. I want you to be financially free. See, that's what God is saying. That's what this series has been about. And I hope that you have been hearing that voice loud and clear. So I want to encourage you, will you follow the roadmap and will you take what we have learned these last few weeks and begin to really apply it in your life in practical ways. Run with it. Learn and experience all that God really has for you. He is good and he wants to show his goodness in your life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to Just speak to us and into our lives so that we can obey him and do what he's called us to do. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word which teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and Lord, trains us to do what is right. We ask your forgiveness where we have ignored your wisdom, Father, and where we have made foolish choices. And Lord, we give you thanks that you tell us in your word that when we confess our sins, you will forgive us. You will cleanse us. So Lord, as we look to tomorrow, uh, to the future, we ask that you would give us strength to begin following you and obeying you. We ask you to give us your mercy and grace, favor, 
Lord, please pour out all of your blessings as we honor you, Lord, in every area of our lives. And we pray these things, all of them, in the name of Jesus, in the precious and holy name of your son, Father. And all God's people together said, amen.